hey, I, it's exciting today. You know why? Because we have communion. But we also start a new book, my favorite book. And it's, it's, it's an awesome, because 2 Timothy, if you want to open up to 2 Timothy, we are going to really pick right back up with Paul, um, you know, writing his second letter. Now, as you get turned there to 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're just going to take the first seven verses, but in very important seven verses. And let me set you up here in regards to this new book that we're starting today, this new letter, this new epistle. I want you, if you've been with us for the first Timothy, in the writing of first Timothy, if you remember, the, it was all about preparing young Pastor Timothy to how to deal with the issues inside the church and preparing the church for difficult times that they were dealing with, with false teaching that was coming in, but also the persecutions and the things that were coming. And God, and God was using Paul, his senior, to him. He, he was the, he was the, the pastor, the, the uh, apostle that God used to raise up young Timothy in the faith. He did the discipling of Timothy. Now, Timothy has been asked to go to Ephesus to the church to continue to be the elder there to help them through some difficult times. And Paul was writing to him. And here in the second letter, and keep in mind, and those who are taking notes, this is uh, Paul's last letter he, has, he writes. This is the last time he picks up that quill and writes on to the papyrus there to write this epistle, this letter to young Timothy, young Pastor Timothy in Ephesus. Also keep in mind there's some things that have taken place and some difficult things have taken place and a darkness now surrounds Paul when he writes this letter. Paul finds himself now in a Roman um, um, uh, Mamarine prison there in Rome and is facing certain death. And we will get to that certain death he knows is in his future, near future, in uh, chapter 4, verse 6 of 2 Timothy. Paul was imprisoned in a cold dungeon, a cave in the ground that only access for him to be able to have, see any kind of light, let alone the feeding of him on a regular basis, was down through a hole into this dungeon or this cave that they placed him in. Remember, his first time he was in prison in Rome, he was actually under armed um, uh, guard arrest at his home. So people could visit him in his quarters at his home. And he was chained 24-7 to a big Roman dude. So that wasn't easy. But can you imagine now he finds himself now into a cave, into a, a prison cell. Very, very cold and difficult time for our brother Paul, Apostle Paul at that time. But it's cold, very little space. And this is where he's at, and he somehow has the ability to get access, probably through his, his uh, close associate, the only associate that he had at that point in time, which was Luke. Luke was by his side, probably delivering that food, delivering the paper, that papyrus, that quell to be able to, for him to write the letter to Timothy so that it would not only be for Timothy, but for the church uh, in Ephesus and for all of us today. 
But we find not only was Luke there, but Luke was the only associate left. For some reason, by this time, we see uh, in the scripture and historically that he was probably the, this, Luke was the only one left. All of the other close associates of Paul's has left for one reason or another. They died in their faith. Or they got really scared when the persecution and the pressure came from the government, the Roman government, and those surrounding. It was very dark, difficult times to be a Christian. And people flee from the faith, especially if you were attached to the man named Paul, Apostle Paul, that God was using in an incredible, mighty way. And he will be killed, beheaded because of his faith. Nero will absolutely hate Paul to the degree where you'll have him murdered because Paul stood up and was bold. He was spiritually bold and he spoke the truth to Nero, to the, 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 the God of that day of the government. How dare you go against the government of that day? And we see that Paul paid his life dearly in the name and the will of God as we will see as he writes this. But not long afterward, according to tradition, the apostle certainly was killed by beheading, and it was dark time. But Paul's greatest concern was not of himself being in the prison. His greatest concern was not him dying. His greatest concern was for his young spiritual son, Timothy, in the faith, who was an elder having to deal with the challenges in Ephesus. And as a young pastor, how to be encouraged during this period of time. You have to imagine, here is a man who's about to die. He's in miserable conditions, and he has the opportunity to write down his final thoughts to the person he loves. What would you write? What would you be concerned with? What would you want to address to encourage a brother or a sister in the faith? Paul was concerned that Timothy would stay strong, stay bold, spiritually bold, to continue to do what God's called him to do even in time of conflict. Why? Because you imagine what was running in Timothy's mind, knowing that his spiritual father, the, the man who has discipled him up and helped him in the ministry, was in a dungeon like that and about to die and never will see him again. Those are some heavy things here. But Paul was encouraging his young, beloved pastor colleague to be faithful in the ministry and preparing the church for these difficult times. And as we learn, Timothy was timid. He suffered some physical ailments and was tempted to let other people take advantage of him and not assert his authority as a pastor in the positions where he's fine. So we find that he was a timid. He was one of those guys you would probably, if you met T uh, Timothy, he would, after you're leaving the conversation, you'd say, boy, he's the nicest guy I've ever met. He's just kind of easygoing, just a, a soft-hearted kind of guy. Just really kind of shows his emotions on his sleeve. Those are great qualities. A tender heart. A loving heart. One who's a shepherd heart. He cared for the people that God brought in front of him for him to nourish and feed with the word of God. 
and to be there to protect them from the wolves, the false teachers, and all of these other things that were coming. Even the physical thing, maybe they were hungry and, and, and destitute, and he found to figure out a way to get food to make sure that they were surviving. We know in 2 Timothy 4, 9 and verse 12, Paul sent Tychicus to replace Timothy in Ephesus so that Timothy might join Paul at Rome. But we don't know. We don't know if Timothy ever made it to Rome. The scripture doesn't say he ever made it. All we know is that Paul desperately wanted his spiritual son, his close one, to come and see him in his last days. But God soon would take Paul shortly right after this letter, this second letter, his last letter that he would write. And Paul would be, would be taken out by God and then Timothy now would be placed in a position now that he would continue the ministry that Paul started. That's, a, that's some, some serious shoes to fill, don't you think? Can you imagine the pressure on Timothy as a young pastor to now continue the ministry as his protege or as his, his, his lead here pastor is gone. But we find that Timothy in the scriptures would continue to give spiritual leadership to the churches in Asian Minor. And it would not be easy for Timothy, but the Lord's help will be, with the Lord's help, he will be successful in doing what God's called him to do. Now, Timothy's death is not recorded in the Bible. But consensus in Timothy from historical accounts that he was martyred as well in Ephesus as he faithfully continued that spiritual boldness that Paul asked him to continue to be. He did follow through faithfully in the ministry in doing that and continuing to minister to the church in Ephesus and across Asian Minor and fighting against the false teachers and all the things that the government was coming against him. But he ended up dying as a martyr as well. Now, 2 Timothy, the purpose of this letter broadly is to encourage and prepare Timothy for the ministry at Ephesus in the last days. That is the purpose of this second letter. It's all about Timothy and making sure he stays strong and bold in the ministry, faithful in the ministry. And the primary theme that we see in this letter, we will find in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. So you can go back, we'll catch that up, and we'll study that next week. But the primary theme of the letter is, is the need for faithfulness in the face of hardship. The need for faithfulness in the time of hardship. And we need to be encouraged today, my brothers and sisters, that with God's help, even in time of hardship that you find yourself in, whatever that may be, and it will be variety from everybody, you can still be faithful to God and doing his will in your life if you will trust him and rely upon him absolutely, completely. And as we take a look at this, he picks here and this starts off his letter as he customarily does with a few couple of twists. And here in verse 1 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul introduces here, like he always has in his other letters uh, that he has written that we see in this scripture here, he immediately recognized 
who he is speaking or who is writing. It's Paul the Apostle. Why? Because this wasn't just for Timothy. Timothy knows who Paul is. But this letter was for Timothy and then Timothy to then teach or to share with those in the, in the church so that they would know exactly who Paul is because most of them probably never after met Paul after a period of time. Paul started the church, but Paul's been gone for a period of time. And remember, he went through there the first time in his first missionary journey, then followed up with second and third. But there are people who are being added to the church daily there, and many did not know him personally, but know of him. So he needed to make sure that letter was, uh, was doing that. And he, and he reminded them that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This wasn't about self-will to be a pastor. This wasn't some self-proclaim or some some whim of a man's like, I feel like being a pastor. I don't know what else to do. It looks pretty easy. It's kind of laid back. You only have to work. Sundays, well, that must be an easy thing to do. Some people do choose to be in the pastoral because of some false understanding of what the ministry is. It's just a job. It's not a job. It's a ministry. It's a calling. So Paul is saying here, I'm an apostle only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of Jesus Christ is because I am able to do what God's called me to do. By the will of God. According to the promise of life. The promise of life referring to of the promise of eternal life. I have a promise of eternal life because of the fact that I am born again. I am saved because of Jesus Christ. And because of that promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, I boldly do what I do, even when I find myself right now writing this letter in a wicked judge, a wicked uh, dungeon in Rome. That is still the will of God. Some people say, oh, he must have really messed up somehow. He's in the dungeon. He's in jail. He must have really messed up. Be very careful before you judge that. Paul was in jail because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And because of the situation he finds himself in, it's still the will of God. That was God's purpose for him to be in there. And we may not understand all the reason and purpose behind it all, but God is in control. So if you find yourself in a situation today, it may not be prison, thank God you're here. Maybe someone's listening online from prison. Praise the Lord. Just know. The situations you find yourself in that God has allowed as a child of God to be in. If he has allowed it, it is part of his will for your life. He's going to use it in your life for a purpose. And those who are watching, he will use it for his purpose. And so it has to be encouraging for us because if we just look at it from a worldly perspective, like this is just this happenstance and it's just by chance and all these other things that we used to say as a non-believer, you can get very discouraged. You can become very depressed. You can, get bit, you can get very downtrodden and heavy laden because of the fact that you think these things are just coming against you. These people are just coming against you and really doing these really bad things. Well, that's true. But you have to remember God is still in control. And God has allowed it. If you're a child of God, nothing touches your life unless it's been father filtered first. Nothing. 
So we see that according to the promise of eternal life, the promise of life found only in Christ Jesus. You cannot have eternal life other than putting your faith, your trust in the life of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to have a life. And if you're a non-believer and you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you do not have an eternal life. You don't have a life. You might be existing right now, but you don't have the abundant life that God speaks of. So I pray today, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, today's the day you confess your sins and how much you need to have a Savior. And you surrender your life this day. Completely. Not partially. There's no partial thing about it. It's complete. And then you will experience what Paul is speaking of, even in his death difficult, dark times in a dungeon in Rome, he's still able to have joy. We see it in verse 2 to Timothy. He's writing this letter to Timothy, a a beloved son. See, in the scripture, when you pour out your life into another person, as Paul did with Timothy, he becomes a spiritual son. Paul becomes the spiritual father to Timothy. Timothy. That's how close the relationship is in regards to between Paul and Timothy. And he talks about the grace and the mercy and the peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And he speaks as he normally has in all of his other letters. We see here, always speaks in his in intro to who he's writing to, in this case Timothy, and the other letters as, and, and, that he writes to in Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and Galatians. Ephesians, the Philippians, and I might be thinking and forgetting one of them, but I think I got them all. But those right there, he only speaks to and writes to, as you go back, of grace and peace from God. But in his pastoral writings, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, he adds the word what? Mercy. Why? Because if anyone needs more mercy as the pastors teaching the word of God and ministering how we need mercy every day. And because of the confrontations that Timothy will meet as a pastor and the false teachers and all the things that will come against him, he needs mercy. Why? Because he'll mess up. Timothy, I know you're going to mess up at times. You're not going to get it perfect as a pastor. You're going to not say things just right. You're not going to treat people as, as, as loving or you speaking too much love and not enough truth or too much truth and not enough love. You're not going to get everything perfect, uh, Timothy, but God's mercy is with you. Rely upon God's mercy. Don't beat yourself up. Don't get fearful. Don't get downtrodden in the ministry, Timothy, just because you're not perfect, because you're not going to be perfect. As a pastor, you can make mistakes. A lot of mistakes. Because you're working with so many diverse people in diverse situations. If, I could, if you wanted to sit down and just chat with me, if you've been around my life long enough, you will see the diversity of challenges that come called spiritual warfare, but also just things that the enemy uses to come against the church body. It is absolutely insane. I mean, your head will spin if you didn't believe that God was in control. <laughs> you would spin because you, it's so difficult at times dealing with the situations you have to deal with. But he encourages them. 
as Paul's life draws to a closure and realizes a deeper way of how dear Timothy was to him in the ministry. Not only was he an actual spiritual dad to him, but he had that spiritual son relationship, how deep and close that must have been. And how desperately he would love to see him in person. And that's why in verse 3 he says, I thank God whom I serve. Who did Paul serve? God. He didn't serve himself. He didn't serve the people. He actually served God and God directed him how to serve. And that is obviously to the people with a pure conscience. If you notice that, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night in day. Paul was so thankful, so thankful to God that he was still serving God in the dungeon that he finds himself in. The situation that is very dark that he finds himself in, he still is able to continue to serve God even though he was in prison and he could no longer preach the word, he could at least continue to do something, the most powerful thing you can do, and that is to pray. Oh, how many times, my brothers and sisters, have someone say, Pastor, I've been in my bed, I've been so sick, and i got cancer, I can't get out. I said, it's a perfect place for you to do the number one ministry that God's called us to do, pray. You have total focus, just pray. You don't have to go, oh, woe is me, this is terrible. Oh, I can't believe the situations I find in. It's cold out here. It's miserable. And you can go on and on if you want. Choose your situation you find yourself in. I know you're having flashbacks over the last six months to a year. How many times do we turn our minds not into the drudgery of what in the pain and the situation we find ourselves in, but we find ourselves praying for others? Praying for God's will in the in the life of the church. Praying, praying in so many ways. There's unendless. And, he, and just like Paul, I pray for you night and day. I can't sleep in this dungeon. It's cold. I can't, it's miserable down here. If I can't sleep, I can pray. I can pray for you. And I'm praying for you, Timothy. I know you need God more than anything ever before because I'm about to die. And you're going to be left alone to do the work that God's called you to continue to do. How powerful it is that we see Paul wanted to just to do the most for Jesus. With a clear conscience. He knows that he knows he's done everything that God was calling him to do. And he was going to finish his race well right down to the point of before he gets martyred or killed for his faith. And he was continued to pray for Timothy. In verse 4 he says, I greatly desiring to see you. Being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Can you imagine he must have had writing, I so desire to see you Timothy. The last time we see each other, we were just filled with tears. I can still picture you Timothy weeping and crying as we parted, not knowing we would ever see each other again. But it brings me great joy because it reminds me of how close of a relationship we have. 
because of our Lord and Savior. I'm filled with joy. Genuine happiness that I remember the faith of faithful men like you, Timothy. You loved, you served Jesus and his people and serving alongside me in the ministry has brought me more joy than you can ever imagine. Now, can you imagine receiving that letter if you were young Timothy? How that would encourage you in the ministry, encourage you in your life to hear those words from your mentor, from your spiritual father, from your father. Dads, are you speaking those things into your children's lives? Are you writing, are you speaking to them of how much joy you have because they're your children? And for me, I, I like to add not only for our children, but now grandchildren. <laughs> I, I need more time with those kids to be able to speak to how much I love them and how much joy they bring and a smile on my face. And those little pictures pop up. Then he moves on to verse 5 here. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Timothy had a genuine faith. It wasn't a fake faith. It wasn't one of those faiths you put on your face and you talk Christianese only when you show up on Sunday at church. But you're the genuine faith, man. You're the real deal. It doesn't matter the time of day, what day it is in the week. It doesn't matter what the situation you find yourself in, in your home life, your work life, your church life. All these kind of little compartmentalizations that you create, which should not be. But many people have different faiths. You're at home. You don't really do much, probably. Talking about your faith. You go to work. You certainly don't talk about your faith. You only talk about the way everyone else talks at work. Or they'll figure out that I'm a Christian and they'll be messing with me. But when I get to church, I can turn it on. And act like, I, like everyone else and talk to the the Christianese like everybody else. I hope that is not any of you. I'm sure it's not. Why? Because you're hearing the word of God and God's doing a work in your life. And those now are no longer compartmental lives. You have a genuine faith like Timothy. It doesn't matter the situation or environment or who you're talking to. You, you're a child of God and anyone can see it. And just there's just something about you that is different than anybody else. Not an elitist. Not a bolster, not a, someone who just wants to talk the game just so people might think he or she is. But genuine faith. That, that, that the fruit of the spirit of love and is just dominating your life regardless of the situation you find yourself in. And Paul talks about where Timothy's faith started and it encourages you as a parent how important it is to teach your children. We find that Timothy, when he started, his life wasn't perfect. He wasn't born into a Christian family. 
He had a father who was Greek. They lived in this this ancient city of Lystra. And when Paul visited this area in his first missionary trip and journey with Paul and Barnabas shows up on the scene. And as he's there and they're sharing the gospel, remember the, the story about him coming across a crippled man. And as he come across a crippled man, the people of the city began to praise Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because God used Paul to heal this crippled man. The people got into frenzy. They thought they were the two gods from Olympia. Paul is Hermes. And because they think these, 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 there were these Greek gods, they started wanting to worship them, and they got some oxen to start to sacrificing, and Paul and Barnabas said, absolutely not. They started ripping their clothes. Don't, are you kidding me? Don't even become close to telling me we're gods. There's no way you should be doing that. But Paul barely restrains them from doing so to a point that now the enemy is coming in and stirs up the people. And now the people turn against Paul and Barnabas. And you know the story in Acts 14. We find that Paul is then stoned and dragged out of the city to a point of a supposed him being dead. I love the story. Not the fact that he got stoned and he he was dead. It was after that, if you continue the story, is when he, they're out there in the city and all of his buddies are crowding around him and looking at him. It's like, Paul is dead. And all of a sudden, Paul just gets up. And what does he do? Come on, guys, let's run. Let's get out of here. No. Look at the story. You want a spiritual boldness? Paul walks back into the city. He went right back in where the enemy was and said, I will face, I will not fear no man. And he walked right back in and then we see the following day, God moves him and Barnabas on to the next place. Now that's spiritual boldness. That's a man who knows the call of God and is going to do what God's called him to do regardless of how he feels. (laughs) <laughs> and we're not talking some emotional thing I can't get over. <laughs> we're talking emotional and physical. I don't know about you, but when we were young, we used to throw stones at and pine cones at each other and brotherly love, you know, back in the day. They weren't the big stones that you see over in Israel today that were just whipped at you to crush your skull. That's Spiritual boldness that God has given Paul in the ministry. Now, Paul's second missionary journey, he came to Lystra again. And there met a young man named Timothy. We see at this point, he had a father who was Greek, meaning he pagan worshiper, didn't worship the one true God. But in that process, it'd be at the first missionary journey, it appears that Lois, the grandmother, and Eunice, the mother, get saved. And they, as mom and grandma, pour into this young man's life, Timothy, what they had, which is, again, the Old Testament, the only part of the Old Testament, was pouring into this man's life the 
word of God. And then Paul shows back up. And many believe Paul and shares again the gospel. And this young man, Timothy, gets saved. Regardless if he was saved prior or after Paul, it doesn't matter. Paul takes him under the wing as he takes him and mentors or disciples him up. Because we see in Acts 16.1, it describes having a mother who believed, but his father was Greek, meaning he was a non-believer. Let me encourage you. If you find yourself in a situation today where one of the spouses gets saved, or a grandmother or grandfather gets saved, and they have kids or grandkids. Don't justify, don't let the enemy justify in your mind that the situation is so difficult you cannot minister to your children or those you love and not think that God can't use you in a mighty way in that situation in your household. He can. Look at young Timothy. He became a pastor and did great things for God. Grandmas, really only grandmas are mentioned in the scripture pouring into their grandkids. Grandpa's not mentioned. Only once in the Old Testament, but not the same, the same level of reference of pouring into your grandchildren. I encourage you, grandmas. That is your mission. That's your missionary work. That is your, that is your calling of God. It's one of them, many probably, but that's a key one. Do not hesitate continue to pour the scriptures into those those children. But when Paul left Lystra, he took Timothy with him. Mom and grandmom said, yes, go with Paul, young Timothy, go with Paul. You be discipled up by this godly man. I want you to be around this godly man as much as you can because your father's not godly. So get around the godly men as much as you can because he's going to help you grow and mature in your faith and be used by God in a mighty way. And it's still true today. Why? Because Timothy, as Paul says, you have a genuine faith. You have an unhypocritical faith. That's what it means to have a genuine faith. You're not being a hypocrite. Hypocrite is when you act one way in one situation, and then when you get to another group of people, you act a different way. When you get to another one, you act even more different. And those, it's just being a hypocritical life. And that is not healthy. It's not good. It's not godly. You must have that genuine faith of unhypocritical faith. We see in verse 6, Therefore I remind you, and now here's the transition. At first is the introduction, reminding them of what he Paul personally thinks of Timothy, how much he loves Timothy, how much he wants the best for Timothy, how much he wants to see Timothy. But then he gets to a point of encouragement, exhortation to Timothy to remind him of what God is doing in his life. And he says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy. You have a genuine faith. There's no doubt in my mind it's in you. I know the situation is tough. I'm in prison. You may not see me again. You're all by yourself having to leave this church that is growing and fast and all the persecution. I know it can be overwhelming. You're not sure what you're going to do. 
But trust God, Timothy. Trust Him. Stir up the gift that God has already given to you as a believer. What a calling that He's given you. I remember laying hands on you and praying for you for God to give you the spiritual gift and gifts to do what God's called you to do in the ministry. But you have to stir it up, Timothy. Don't allow it to just sit there and dormant. Not exercising it. Because you're not going to get the, the your, God's not going to get the glory and the honor and, the, and the, the, the fruitfulness that will come from your life because you're letting it sit there in your life and do nothing. Timothy was a gifted man that God wanted to use for the kingdom of God. But Timothy had a challenge he had to overcome. He had a very, very a weak point in his life, I would call it. The fact that his weakness became, it could become a strength, was becoming more of a weakness, and that was his timidity. He was very timid, very reserved. He had this timid streak in him, and that is why Paul constantly in, his first, in the first letter and now in the second letter is encouraging young Timothy, you need to have spiritual boldness. You need to be spiritually bold in doing what God has called you to do, Timothy. You have a tendency to be timid. You have a tendency to not want to confront people who are coming and doing things that are against the word of God. You're timid to say anything because you, you're trying to make sure everyone loves you or pleased, you're pleased or people are pleased by you. You don't want to alienate people. You don't want to take a strong stand for situations and, and truth. And here's Paul. Paul's a complete opposite of him. Paul is, as we see in the scriptures, a man of deep love, but also a man who would never shy away from confrontation. <laughs> Ask Peter in Galatians 2, verses 11 uh, through uh, chapter 2, verse or, yeah, 11 through 21. If you go back and you look at that account, uh, Paul absolutely publicly rebuked the apostle Peter. He had no problem. Addressing the issues at hand. Timothy, you have a shepherd's heart. You have a tender heart. You have a loving heart. You don't want to hurt a fly. You want to hurt anyone's feelings. We've got that, Timothy. But in the ministry, in this spiritual boldness you must have, you are going to have to confront things in people's lives that are unbiblical. And if you're a shepherd, and if you're a, she a shepherd and a pastor, you must address these things for them for the sake of their life. We're talking about eternal life here. And if they're doing things that go against the scriptures and they put them at risk and they think they can just act or say they're Christians when they're not a Christian because they have not surrendered their life to Christ, you can't just not say something when they're living in habitual sin. Because the scripture is clear. If you're living in habitual sin, you, you can't call yourself a Christian. If you have no desire to give up sin that God clearly has shown in the scripture and say it's okay, and no one ever has ever said to you, 
that is against the scriptures, that pastor's not doing what God's called him to do. I had a couple many years ago, many years ago, that came up here. And they were just the sweetest people. But God just kept giving a check in my heart that there's something's just not right. And as they kept coming week after week, one of two things will happen. You won't keep coming because you can't handle the conviction that the word of God, the spirit of God does to you by the reading of the word. You can't handle it. You want your sin more than you, you want to change. So you go find some other, I won't call that type of church. You'll go find another church. I'll keep it nice and simple. Then You'll go find another place that doesn't speak the word of God. They avoid all the difficult subjects in the word of God. So that you can feel comfortable living in your sin day by day and coming to church week by week and not feel conviction. You just feel love. Get goosebumps. But this couple chose to continue. And you know what happened? They finally, after years, after three churches in other locations in, this, in the United States, they finally came to this church. And they finally, I kept always saying, you've heard me say all the time, keep showing up with regardless of how you feel. And guess what happened? That conviction week after week finally turned to confession. And they finally admitted they weren't married. And we married them two days later. I would have married them on the spot, but the, the law tells me I have to wait for 48 hours until you get a license to be able to do it. But we found them a place to live for two days. We found them to make sure they were right with God. They confessed these things. They, we married them. We had everything there. We had a photographer. We had it all. Someone in the church made a cake. Guess who was the happiest couple you have ever met at that day? A couple that was free from sin and bondage and shame. They could now freely worship God. They blossomed, became very fruitful in what God's called them to do and what a blessing it was to watch the transformation. See what happens if you would just confess And let God do a work in your life. Paul's encouraging Timothy. I understand your fear, Timothy. I understand how difficult and challenging it can be in the ministry, Timothy. But let me reassure you, you need to have the spiritual boldness so that you can move forward. We see in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy no less than 25 different places where Paul encourages Timothy to be bold. You must be bold. To shy away from confrontation and to stand up where he needs to stand up and be strong to do what God's called you to do. And that's why he says, therefore, I remind you, Timothy, you have a responsibility to stir up the gift of God that's in you. 
I know for some, the last thing you need to hear is you need to hear you need to be more bold. Because that's not your problem. You're very bold. Matter of fact, you probably have the pendulum swing of you rant all the time. That's not good either. But in this case, if Timothy's challenge was not the fact that he was so overly bold. No, he wasn't bold at all. Timothy rather be passive. Just let it all happen. Maybe I won't, maybe I don't have to get involved. Maybe, maybe I won't be persecuted for getting involved with this thing. Face to face and but here's what I find. Both the pendulum swing of those who are very, very, very timid have pain and insecurity they have to deal with. And they also, those who are really bold to a point they're ranting, they're always ranting, are still dealing with the same type of pain and insecurity. And when you realize that you have something that God wants to deal with in your life, you just need to confess it to him. Come to him. Let him know of the insecurity and the pain of the past or the current situation you find yourself that you're dealing with. Do you not know that God knows all things and sees all things in your life? And then he wants to help you? You must come boldly and you must come securely as you know you can come securely to the Lord and allow the Lord to do the work in your life. And then by the reading of the word of God will transform your mind and will transform your heart to the things that you don't have to come to a point in your life where you're still dealing with past pain and insecurities. God wants you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. He wants you to stir him up because he wants you to use him for his kingdom, for his glory. Reminds us that God does not work his gifts through us as if we were robots. He doesn't create robots as a Christian. And you just do what he says you to do. But that when he gives you as a man or a woman the gifts from him, he leaves an element called man's free will that needs to cooperate with his will. And that your desires and drives to fulfill the purpose of his gifts or gifts that he's given you, you need to stir them up and allow your will to align with his will for the things that he's called you to do. And you have free will to decide if you want to do that or not. You can become stiff-necked and say, I am not doing that for God. But God's gifted you to do that. I don't feel like it. God said, okay. This is going to be a much longer. Because <laughs> God's going to get his will. He just wants you to cooperate and stir up the gifts he's given you. Don't waste them. 
See, some are waiting passively for God to use them. God, just use me. But God is waiting for them to stir up the gifts that are within them. Some are waiting for some dramatic new experience or anointing from God before I go step out in faith to do anything. And God is sitting there going, I've already given you the gifts. I want you to stir up and come in line with my will for you and move forward in spiritual boldness, man. And this stir up, if you look at the language, it means you have a flame. You're burning, but the flame is so small. You need to turn up the flame, man. You've got to let it burn brighter in your life. You need to stir up. Because if you don't, it will just kind of fizzle down to barely coals even kind of simmering. You're just going to grow cold. Paul says, Timothy, you've got, to, you've got to turn up the flame, man. Because that spiritual boldness is what you're going to need in the times to come, in the, in the ministry, in life, the dealing with the things that you're going to have to deal with. Be on fire for, for the things of God. Don't be cold to the things of God. And I was there when I laid hands on you. I was there to, when we watched God do the work in your life. And then we finish here in verse 7. For God has not given us, here's the solution. Paul doesn't just say, stir up Timothy and then figure it out on his own. He encourages him with the very key words for you and for me as today. He says, for God, not you, you're not going to be able to do this. It's only because of God doing this work in you. He says, okay, for God has given us a spirit of fear, has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Very, very important for you to understand this one verse. God has not given you a spirit of fear. I understand. People can be very fearful to speak in front of other people. That is a fear for many. Some can have a fear of, of just confrontation of over situations. I got that. I understand. That can be a fear for you. Some have a tremendous fear of praying out loud. I understand that. Some don't like to be looked foolish-like in situations. I know that can be a fear. And I know that you don't like to be rejected. And I understand that as well. But God did not give you that spirit of fear. Perhaps it's your personality, a weakness aspect of your personality. It could be perhaps a weakness of your flesh. Or perhaps it could be a demonic attack. But you must come to an understanding it is not from God. And why do I emphasize that? Because the very first step to dealing with fear in your life is to understand they are not from God. It is a significant step because it isn't God making me feel like this. 
It's not God hasn't given me this. And perhaps there's complications and other things that are happening. He does give you a conscience. He does give you an alert system that says there's darkness there. You must flee from that temptation. You must flee from that the enemy. You must flee from that. But we're talking fear that comes to a point where it's not of God. It's not real. Many have heard the saying out there, false evidence appearing real, the definition of fear. The first step, you must acknowledge this is not from God. And the second is, he says, you have to remember when you're dealing with your fears, understand what God has given you to deal with fears. A spirit Of right there. Notice the Holy Spirit's going to give you the power of power, of love, and of the sound mind. Those three things will overcome any fear that you're facing today. What's, what are they? God has given us a spirit of power. Or in, the, in the Greek language, it's dunamis. It's like that's where we get our word dynamite. He'll give you power to blow up that fear in your life if you, if you let him. When we do his work, when we focus and proclaim his word, when we sit there and present his kingdom, we have all his power supporting us to blow up whatever fear is coming your way. God has also given us a spirit of love. The word love here is agape. Agape love here in, this, in the language. And it tells us a lot about the power that God gives us because many times people think power is about how much you can have control over others. But that's not it. That's the world's way. That's the flesh way. Power here is speaking to the power of God's love that dominates your life. And it's the expression and how much we love and serve others. That's the power. An ungodly love, the power that comes from that to love God and to serve others. That is where you will overcome fear. On the night before the cross, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. What did Jesus do with all that power? Do you recall? John 13, verses 1 through 11. What did he do? He humbly washed the disciples' feet. That's our great example of our Lord. If we have love for lost souls... And if we have love for those in the faith, your brothers and sisters, we will be able to endure suffering and accomplish great work for, the, for God. And you will overcome the fear or fears that are in your life. What causes fear is selfishness. You're, Fear just reveals selfishness in our lives. Selfishness leads to fear because if we are selfish, we are interested only in what we will get 
or have negative impact on us by serving God or doing the things God's called us to do. The more I think about myself, the more miserable I become. True Christian love is energized by the Spirit, Romans 5.5. 5. It enables us to sacrifice for others and not be afraid. The Spirit gives love, Galatians 5.22. God has given us also a third thing. Not only God has given us power and of love, but he, Paul says also of a sound mind. What is a sound mind? The ancient Greek word here for sound mind is one of calm, a calm mind, a self-controlled mind, or a self-disciplined mind, which is a good, probably the best translation I believe it is, in contrast to a fearful mind, that one that becomes panic over certain things or confused over certain things or rushes into this fear over certain situations of uncertainty. That is not of God. What we, God has given you and I is not only the power but the love but also a sound mind. If you are setting your mind upon God, you will have this calmness, this self-control over the mind that seems to ravage many people. I remember when I first got saved, my mind was doing all kinds of gymnastics and I just could not control the mind. Because I was caught between this new life in Christ and my old life and, and the confusions of the past and how I was raised. and It was just absolutely gymnastic. I call it the roller coaster, the highs and lows. And I was always taught from the word of God, it says, Keep showing up regardless how you feel, Corey. You keep staying in the word of God and God will transform your mind and you will have that sound mind that you need that will no longer throw you into a, an emotional spin that you can't seem to come out of. And it did. And that's why I want to encourage you if you find yourself today, if you don't have a sound mind, stay in the word, stay in prayer, Stay in the fellowship. Watch what God will do. And fear will not, will no longer dominate your life. Because the fear is not of God. So here Paul's writing to Timothy in the second letter about spiritual boldness and the fact that spiritual boldness matters in our lives. We need to have spiritual boldness to deal with the things that are happening in your families, that are happening in your, your work environment, that's happening in your neighborhood, your communities, in your church. You must have spiritual boldness. God's purpose for our lives, God's purpose is more than making money. It's not about just being entertained and having something to do. Or social hour, or social, I, I cannot have a miserable life because I don't have anyone my own age or situation. I'm not socially gathered and doing all kinds of things. We're isolated because of COVID and all these other things. And we come all unglued. But what I found is, and you might have found it yourself, COVID has just revealed to you things in your life that are just not 
one of, of lines up with power, love, and a sound mind. Let me put it that way. But today, God is going to encourage you. You can do things differently now. Pursue God. Overcome these fears by, by keeping your eyes focused on the Lord. Why? Because fear and timidity will keep us from using the gifts God gives us. God wants each to take his power, to take his love, to take his peace and overcome the fear that's in your life and boldly step out in faith and do the things that God's going to call you to do. Timothy didn't need some new spiritual experience. He didn't. He didn't need some step-by-step spiritual checklist so that he can know what he has to do to, to work his way into some better situation spiritually. That's not how it works, my brothers and sisters. All he needed to do was to stir up what he already had. As a believer, you already have it. The Holy Spirit does not leave us when we fall, we see that in John 14, 16. Oh, I screwed up. The Holy Spirit's going to leave. No. Look at John 14, 16. He tells you the, the Spirit of God doesn't leave you. He cannot uh, fill us or empower us or use us if we neglect our spiritual gifts in our lives. We call that in Ephesians 4, 30, grieving the Spirit. We see that called quench the spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. The spirit of God wants to do a fresh new work in you. Will you not? Will you stop grieving and quenching the spirit because you refuse to do what God's called you to do and make change in your life? He wants to do the changes. Timothy had every, everything. First letter, now the second letter. He, Timothy had everything to be encouraged to do what God's called him to do in the ministry. To have spiritual boldness. Paul loved him. Paul prayed for him. Paul trained him up, discipled him up. Everything was for this young man. His, even his life experiences from his youth with his grandmother and mother pouring into his life. He had, as a young man, everything potential for him. But he had a self-will and he had to make a decision. Will he stir up what God has given him? Will you, my young sisters? Will you, young men? Will you take a step of faith and move beyond your situation you find yourself in today. The Spirit of God can and will do this work. It's a guarantee. It's not a question if it will work for you. It will if you will do it.